Girls That Invest, the platform that empowers millennials through financial literacy. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Sim. How are we today? I am going well. I just began the process of looking for a house. Yay, exciting. Big girl stuff. How exciting. So daunting. It it is so <laughs> I'm like I'm saying it, but like I really mean it. It's so daunting and I'd love to do a episode or a couple of episodes on property because I do feel like that is definitely a type of investments that our audience are interested in. I feel like it's something that you're so knowledgeable about and you're right in the heart of it at the moment. I definitely am in the heart of it. Um, I think as well as just like going through it, I feel like there's just so much when it comes to buying a home that, yeah, there's just so much to unpack and it's not hard. It's just a lot. Like it's not very deep. It's just got a lot of breadth. Is that the word? Like breadth, not depth never heard that before really I'm bread okay <laughs> okay are you this is how it's spelled B-R-E-A-D-T-H like bread with a th at the end the distance or measurement from side to side of something with I, I feel like feel this like, isn't um, a um, English podcast, nice. so I forgive you for that. We learn new things on this podcast every single time. Last time it was skincare. This time it's a new measure of measurement. <laughs> anyway, so... Look. <laughs> you know what? You're welcome. Moving on. What are we talking about today? Why are we here? What are we doing? Um, today we're talking about retirement, which is crazy because we are in our mid twenties and I feel like this is something that is so far from people's minds because to be honest, retirement is something that you think about when you're nearing that age or close to nearing that age. It's not something that people in our circles and our age groups talk about. Because it is so far away and we've got other things in the front of our I totally agree. I feel like if you think of your like life on sort of a timeline, retirement just feels like the end of it and things like getting your first job, getting promotions, you know, getting a house, finding what you want to do in your life. Like those are so much more closer to us than retirement. So I don't blame us for not having it front of mind like you said but in Mm. saying that I do think it's important to start planning for retirement in your 20s if not earlier it sounds weird to say that but the reason is that and, and I guess the truth is that if you want to have a retirement in the traditional sense so we're talking you know 65 general retirement age if you want to have a retirement that's on your terms with the lifestyle that you want you have to start planning for it and it's Mm. hard to say but that is the truth right and if you I guess fail to plan then you almost plan to fail as cheesy as that can sound (laughs) and saying that though I feel like the majority of us are in that group of people 
that haven't really given it much thought and have sort of been like, you know, it will sort itself out when the time comes. Um, And I think that's kind of the assumption, you know, everything will work out. The Financial Markets Authority in New Zealand recently did a study and found that only 11% of Kiwis are confident that they will be financially comfortable in retirement. That's almost 9 out of 10 of us that are not comfortable with how we're going to fund the rest of our lives post-retirement. Do you think do you think that's purely because we do start thinking about that at the later age or because of that belief that yeah everything will sort itself out and then you get there and you're like I think that's definitely oh. part of it. I think there's also an aspect of there's no lie that we have a lot of hardships that are more front of mind. So even things like getting a job in the career you want even things like buying your first house like that's not a reality for a lot of us as an easy sort of accomplishment so we spend so much time focus energy and money towards that that retirement is like almost seen as a luxury like yeah I'll get there when I get there um another thing is is that and this is something that we were talking about earlier as well Um, Obviously, you don't know when you're going to pass, but the life expectancy um, of people has also increased dramatically. It's like we're living longer, we have more life, so to speak, to fund. And yet, on the other hand, the idea of pensions and the risk of pensions being scrapped is definitely almost you know a reality for us as millennials by the time we are 65 so like on one hand we're living longer on the other hand there's going to be potentially less government support there's really never been a better time than now to start to get on top of our retirement plan and work out like what we would like and how we're going to get there but yeah I think in saying that even just starting from the beginning I feel like there's still quite a bit of confusion and misconception on Mm -hmm. what retirement planning is do you mind just breaking down Mm -hmm. what it is in New Zealand yeah so in New Zealand we have this uh, great thing called KiwiSaver now in most countries they have their own version of KiwiSaver which is essentially just a retirement scheme for the citizens of that country so for New Zealand it's Mm -hmm. KiwiSaver for Australia it's super for America Mm -hmm. it's uh, your Roth IRA or your 4101k. Um, they basically all do the same thing, right? Yeah, um, definitely. They generally have the same intention with their schemes. Some of the terms and conditions within the schemes might be different country to country, but um, for New Zealand and with the way KiwiSaver operates, mm. um, it is a voluntary keyword voluntary um savings scheme uh to help you set up for retirement kiwi saver do you have to be working to get or to like to contribute or to even have it like is it like you need to work to have a kiwi saver no not at all so um it's great if you are working because your employer can also contribute to your kiwi saver um on top of your contributions but you can also make contributions yourself uh, through your provider as well. Um, the great thing about KiwiSaver is, or well, one of the perks, is that 
the government actually contribute $521 every year to your KiwiSaver if you contribute at least 104986 within that year. Sorry, how much? It is a 1049.86 cents. I just don't know why you said it like I just that. feel like <laughs> I'm getting bullied. <laughs> that that was that was complete the, the intention and I'm glad it came across that way. So that's okay. I just want you guys to know behind the scenes this is what's up. Um <laughs> so okay, so KiwiSaver is this government voluntary scheme. You can get it through your employer or you can put in money yourself. Do a lot mm-hmm. of like in terms of New Zealand, do you reckon a lot of people use KiwiSaver or do you think it's like a scarce thing? Funnily enough, no. It's not something that people openly talk about, Mm. I feel. Mm. Um, It's always running in the background and people know it exists. But I think a lot of people are on board. So the FMA in their 2020 KiwiSaver annual report, the total member, sorry, the total number of members in KiwiSaver is running um, just over 3 million. Oh, really? And the New Zealand population at this point in time, um, in October 2020, is 4.8 um, million. Oh, wow. So that's, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's how much? A significant <laughs> amount of people. What do you mean? <laughs> I thought you were going to give me a... Are you asking me to convert this into a percentage? Holy crap. You know how much of a nerd I am. You know what? Um, you know how much I'm sweating already. <laughs> Can you do that? Yeah, of course. Um... Oh, it's not that much. It's sixty-two percent. That's still more than half. That's still pretty of good. The population. That, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Look, what so, this is episode eight. If you guys didn't know that Sims the math nerd, I don't know where you've been the past <laughs> seven episodes. If you didn't know, um, I used to have to do maths homework while Sonia was over, and she would have to join me, <laughs> and I would cry and call my mum to tell me to pick me up. <laughs> You know what? Moving forward. So, yeah, that's a significant <laughs> amount of people um, in the KiwiSaver scheme doing the damn thing. Um, that makes me and... happy. Mm. I feel like you're so right, though, about, like, it not being talked about. Like, how many people – okay, like, genuine genuine question. How many of your friends have ever talked about their KiwiSaver or their retirement or taking money out of KiwiSaver to buy a house? Has anyone ever talked to – you about it i want to say once in my lifetime that's happened and that's because i asked the question is how much are you putting how much are you contributing to your kiwi saver because i'm nosy like that interesting i don't think i've ever had that conversation very short conversation yeah (laughs) granted it wasn't a lengthy conversation at all it was just Um, in and out in and out so i think the thing with kiwi saver or just retirement funds in general is Why should we be thinking about it now besides the whole, you know, planning for it? There's a couple of things to sort of unpack here. Number one is it's very easy for us to be so acclimatized to the idea of instant gratification. Like if we're we're so used to, and I obviously don't speak for everyone here, but in my experience for myself, we're so used to the idea of you do something now and you reap the reward soon if not straight away like you know within a couple of weeks at most a couple of months 
the idea of sacrificing quote-unquote right now to help you in literally 40 years time that's not an easy concept I don't think you're too off base there I think most of us can agree we've all done a cheeky google how to get rich fast how to lose 10 pounds in two weeks like those are probably the two most common google searches out there that's what we want right we just want everything straight away results fast minimum effort definitely been there done that but I think the reason why it's so important and I think this concept hones it in for me the most is the idea that we are living longer Mm -hmm. and poverty among our elderly population is growing the United Nations found I mean it's so heartbreaking the United Nations found that poverty actually increases with age we are having such an increase in our elderly population not being able to afford the necessities you hear stories of old people going to bed at six o'clock because that's cheaper than keeping the lights on and keeping the heaters on like it's heartbreaking and I would hate for anyone listening to be in that position where they have to choose between that is so warm and saving enough for food the next day it's actually really interesting in Australia so I couldn't find stats in New Zealand so I went to our neighbors up the street in Australia the rates of elderly poverty is at 23 percent that is very high and I would assume that New Zealand isn't too far off when you say the poverty um for elderly is at 23% is that because people are just living off their super there or like the New Zealand equivalent like the pension I would say so so with when you're older you get you obviously don't work or you don't work as much if you're just relying on the superannuation in New Zealand the superannuation is the same word as the Australian retirement fund but for us it's the pension right so I hope no one is getting confused. But in us, our super mm. is only for a single person $411 a week. Like that is not enough if you are renting or if you have bills to pay, you have food to feed, like to feed yourself. That is not enough. And in New Zealand, 40% of New Zealanders over 65 are just relying on the super. And if that went, they have no form of monetary support mm. I don't know if anyone's seen this but there's there's a Hassan uh, Hassan Minaj a meme going around in the pa- when he talked on the Patriot Act and he was like I asked my dad I'm like yo what is your retirement plan and he's like Hassan you're my retirement plan <laughs> and I just feel like any brown kid you'll listening know. to I, this you like you'll know <laughs> I definitely think <laughs> that's such a reality for so many people but at the same time like you're really riding on a lot for that to happen like I think maybe our parents generation it was more yeah. acceptable 100%. but like if you're raising a child you really cannot hope and expect that they will be in the financial physical mental position 
to be funding your retirement for you I think personally my personal belief is like that's something Mm -hmm. I would do for my parents but as a future parent hopefully one Mm -hmm. day I don't think I could ever expect that from my child I'm on the same boat as you um Mm -hmm. especially when you put that amount of pressure on said child like you just don't know how that situation is going to go also just the whole idea about like the burden of pension so where does pension money come from it comes from the taxes and where does it come from and taxes well it's the taxing of people that are still working so you've kind of got two groups of people here you've got a small group of young people that are working and then you've got a larger group because more people are living longer and there's more elder elderly people that are relying on the taxation to fund their pensions this the difference between these group two groups and sizes is only getting bigger and bigger and it's already getting to a stage where there's no guarantee that we are going to have a pension for millennials by the time we hit 65 mm-hmm. if anything the world if anything the world economic form is already calling for changes around how pensions are funded given their unaffordability in new zealand alone so in 2016, the cost of the super was $13 billion, and they expect that in 2050, it's going to be $76 billion. That's That's not an insignificant number. And so I guess the key undertaking here is we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're relying on that to look after us when there's already talks that it might not even be there. So uh, do you reckon that you could... Retire with uh, $1 million. $1 million I mean, that is the, <laughs> I think that is the title of our podcast. That's definitely a question we want to answer. Sonia, it's so weird to say this, but the truth is it is doable. And it's not as expensive as some might think. If you put $250 a month in your retirement fund and the fund was averaging a market index of 9% and you started at 25 and you did this for 40 years you would retire not including inflammation not accounting for inflation 1.2 million dollars 62 a week that's so you think that you need to put away like a hundred grand like a month I feel like that would be sooner than 40 40 years but yeah exactly yeah. like you think you think it had to be a lot more but I feel like yes it's a sacrifice and I completely understand that that's not in the cards for everyone right now $62 $62 50 a week is like a make or break for some people but if you are in a position where you can put that away and that includes your employer match so that's really thirty one twenty five a week of your own Mm. if your employer matched that 100%. It's definitely something to keep on your mind. I think that's all we're trying to get at. Mm. Yeah, I definitely don't want to come across as you, us presenting this information and people taking this with some level of guilt. Everyone's in different stages of their life right now and this year has rocked so many people. It's just something that we want you to consider. For sure. Now, I have a question. 
So just say you do save up a million dollars or just say you're on the way to save up, you know, your money Mm -hmm. because you are informed and you know that you need to do this and you're starting. What would you say to me if I was like, hey, look, I get the importance of saving for retirement, but I might die before I retire. And, you know, like, is this just is there no other way I can receive this money besides perhaps you know, my first home are those the only two, t- the only thing I can really do, like my first home purchase and my retirement payout. I get why you ask that and I get why people think this because KiwiSaver is marketed as a voluntary retirement scheme, right? And I think people hear those buzzwords, first home grant and, um, you know, buying your first house and you can use KiwiSaver for that. Uh Truth be told, there's actually a few different ways you can utilize your KiwiSaver. Some of them are more ideal than others. Um, but I'll take you through them now, Sim. Call <laughs> this journey together. <laughs> so starting with uh, the most common use of uh, KiwiSaver is when you turn 65 and you want to start pulling out your funds that you've been contributing to. Now, if you are still working at the age of 65 or older, you can still actually contribute to KiwiSaver. Sorry to butt in. I I have a question. If you are 65 and you're like, you know what, I still kind of want to work, can you still take out, like cash out your retirement funds or is that like you only do that once you stop working? Mm-hmm. You can cash out your KiwiSaver, so opt out is the term for it, and continue to work. However, you can't opt in again because one of the things with KiwiSaver is, is that you need to be under 65 to join it. So the decision uh, is up to you. The world is your oyster. If you want to continue working, keep going, um, contributing to your KiwiSaver and opt opting out at a later stage uh, maybe when you stop working that's it's definitely a possibility but when you opt out dead it um so this is something that my dad recently told me so with opting out um you can choose to get the whole lump sum uh like just transferred to your normal checking account or you can choose to have the money deposited into your bank account on a certain frequency, for example, monthly or fortnightly. Um, and you can use it for you can use it for whatever you want. You can use it for your bills, you can use it for your mortgage repayments if you um, need that money for that cost of living. Um, what so I guess there's the main reason that we all kind of know and love, which is for your retirement. Is there anything else? Yeah, definitely. So the second thing that you were talking about, which is something that I do want to run through quite briefly, um, is using your KiwiSafe funds for your first home. Um, To do this, you actually do need to be in KiwiSaver for at least three years before you withdraw funds for your first home. And there's this thing called a KiwiSaver Home Start Grant something that my good friend sim here is becoming familiar with a with your house it's so familiar that i'm kind of sick of it if i'm being quite honest like you said those words and i was like oh like i'm so done (laughs) and guess what i'm gonna about i'm about to talk about it a little bit more so bear with me (laughs) 
Um, but this is all dependent on um, if you're going to buy an existing home or a new build. If you are buying a new build, you can get up to 10 grand uh, for your first home. And if you are buying, sorry, if you, I don't know what happened there. If you are buying an existing home, you can get up to five grand. Some other ways that you can use KiwiSaver, which I don't know if is known as much as the others. Um, one is hardship. So if you are going through significant financial hardship, you can mm -hmm. file to have your KiwiSaver be transferred to you now in terms of what significant financial hardship means it could be you're not meeting the minimum amount you need to live so for rent for food for your bills um, you can't pay the mortgage of the house that you live in um, you need to make adjustments to your home um, to meet your special needs or those of a family member that you've decided to or you've been right like for example like mobility access and stuff like that a hundred percent or if you have a serious if you have a serious illness or you need to pay funeral costs of a dependent family member um, that's really interesting because like I've heard of financial hardship but I never actually knew what the terms were or like how they'd measure it because it's a pretty vague term and it means different things for different people it is a vague term and something significant to you might not be significant to the next person um, the IRD website does have the criteria in terms of what significant hardship means. So if anyone's ever curious about that, the government website, <laughs> IRD, um, is a great place to go if you need any clarification. Um, speaking on serious illnesses, another reason that you might need to pull um, from your KiwiSaver would be for health reasons. So illnesses or congenital conditions, you do need to provide a medical certificate for this, but you can use it for the cost of treatment or for other things relating to treatment, such right. as transport to get That's, to your treatment. You know what? Um, I genuinely, like, like before you mentioned this, did not know that that was an option. And I think it's so odd to me that that's not, being pushed as like general knowledge that we all should be aware of like this is our money that if you are in KiwiSaver every week you are putting a little bit of your money into this yet we don't even really get taught what you can take out of it mm. the circumstances the latter ones that I mentioned they're not the most ideal to be taking out uh, your money for those reasons but it's almost like a peace of mind that's there, right? Yeah. Like if you did need to pull for it, sorry, if you did need to pull from it, you do have the option to do so. Mm. I like that. Um, a few other interesting reasons that you might need to pull out from your KiwiSaver before 65. So KiwiSaver is actually looked at as an asset. So if you did go bankrupt, you can pull for that. Um 
something else that I found super interesting. It's also considered relationship property. Oh. So for all of y'all that are married or in relationships um, over three years, I think that's what a de facto relationship is. Yeah, eh? three years and your partner is, I guess, has access to or rights to some of your assets. Rights to some of your assets and KiwiSaver, as I mentioned, is an asset, so they'll have rights to the amount in your KiwiSaver as well. Um, get them prenups, my good team. Um, and also death. So if you died, your Kiwi save. If you died, when you die. <laughs> when you die. Look at us. Look at us being look hopeful. 20-year-olds, 20-something-year-olds, just like retirement might come, but death? No. Death is a foreign concept. Not I. Anyways, with when you do die, um, your KiwiSaver actually goes straight to your estate. So make sure that you put it in your will so it's easier for your family members to obtain. Looking into it further, it's interesting that you can take it out for a whole range of things, not just for your first home or your retirement. Eh? I think... I really resonate with you when you talked about it being like a peace of mind thing. Like, it's just nice to know that, like, if something really terrible happened to me, that that money is potentially mm. there as a buffer, which is amazing. With all that being said, Sim, um, do you have any idea how much maybe we should be contributing to our Kiwi Saver? Question that I feel like we all kind of wonder especially because um and and i'm pretty sure this is the same with like all retirement accounts regardless of where you live when you get um your new job or you start you know sending money through to your retirement fund you get an option of how much to put in and you just like have a little a pen and a tick and it's like where do i like what do i choose right yeah, and it's I and you that. kind of go back and forth like <laughs> should I put the minimum should I put the maximum should I put something in the middle this is my opinion so it's definitely not financial advice but this is what I believe in and it's worked for me I put in the minimum amount mm. that gets me the maximum contributions so what I mean by that is if my employer matched me to 3% then I would just put in 3% I would not put in 6 so mm. in New Zealand you can put 3% of your salary into KiwiSaver, 4%, 6%, 8%, or 10%. Now, KiwiSaver lets you put in any of those options however your employer chooses the one that works for them. When I was younger and I got my first job at a petrol station, I <laughs> thought that whatever I put in, my employer would match. So I was like, yeah, if I put in 8%, um, Z Energy would put in eight percent too they did not and very quickly did i they did switch not. out so. as soon as i saw my pay slip <laughs> um <laughs> but the more you know um, the more you at, know in eh? the prime age of like high school <laughs> and so i i believe that whatever your employer gives that is what you should match so i know that in the the hospital system in New Zealand or the DHBs 
I believe they match 6% rather than the standard 3, so most places will match 3. So if they're giving 6% and you can afford it, I would be putting 6% okay. away because there is no other place where you can put, say, $100 and get $100 back straight away. Like that return on investment is more than you're going to get from the stock market, at least in a day's mm-hmm. time, right? Thank you. Um, and so that's what I do. 3% because my company gives me 3%. If they were giving me 6 I would put in 6 And also in New Zealand, the government also matches a little bit. So the government will give up to around $500 if you put up to 1000 If you put in 2000 they don't care. They're still only going to give you roughly 500 So I just put in the minimum amount I need to get to the maximum amount that they'll give, which is about $1,000. $42. I have it in my calendar every year, just like Simran put in this much money before this date, and that's how I do it. What are your thoughts, though? Yeah. I think at the moment, my KiwiSaver is sitting at 8%. My employer matches 3 Ooh, scandalous. Um, done that by personal choice it's so scandalous uh read a little book called the barefoot investor which talks about putting in the maximum like contribution uh for your super at least for a wee while um and that's working for me it doesn't bother me i feel lucky that i can contribute that much um great thing is is that you can adjust it to meet your Mm -hmm. needs in the future as well um in terms of the, in terms of the $500 amount it's funny that you put it in your calendar every year you mm-hmm. know how they send you a letter like this is how your kiwi saver performed it's about $521 they highlight that amount in that letter it's like colored it's got a circle around it and i'm just like hey thank you so much you know what i appreciate it no one else <laughs> is going to send you a letter and highlight that they're going to give you $500 for free Take it. Take it. You right. You earned it. The New Zealand government, though. I think, I think the reason, and I've been asked this before, because someone once did ask me, like, if you can afford to put in more into your contribution, so 8% rather than 3 why don't you? My personal belief is that I know that that extra percent I can put in other investments that I have more control of and for my personality that works for me because I have access to it as opposed to putting it away and knowing that I can only use it for a house, financial hardship, health concerns or when I'm 65. So that's also something to consider but I do know a lot of people that will put in the most they can because for them it's kind of like for savings, like it's out of sight, out of mind. They just can't touch it. And that really, that just works really, really well. Another question that we get really often is how much should I save as a lump sum? Like what is the number that I should be reaching for, for when I do want to retire? Now, I guess the short answer is the annoying answer of, you know, it's different for everyone, da da da, whatever works for you. But I still like to give an example because I feel like that kind of contextualizes the whole thing. I guess gives a baseline and like sort of lets you see where you might sit. So let's think 
of Emily. Emily is 25 year old. She mm-hmm. goes off the university studies that suggest that a retired couple mm-hmm. need about $770 a week for a moderate budget in retirement. Um, and that's roughly more or less 40k a year to live off. So Emily's 25, she wants to have $40,000 a year in retirement and she wants to retire at 65. And let's just give her a life expectancy of 85 just to keep it simple. Now, if Emily decides to retire at 65 based on all the starters, she'll need about $80,000, about $800,000 between herself and her partner or about $400,000 on her own to do this, which to me doesn't seem as daunting as I previously thought it would be like the lump sum of like what you need to be comfortable obviously it's different for different people for someone $40,000 a year is like peanuts and for others it's just way too much there are a lot of and I really recommend doing this there's a lot of retirement calculators out there where you can like pop in your details, you know, how old you are, how much you'd want to have every year in retirement, when you'd like to retire, and it will give you the number that you, I guess, should aim for. And I think that's a nice sort of quick way of doing it. I was just going to ask you, like, if you did want to understand what your ideal retirement amount would be, um, how you, you know, start that process or go about doing that. So you're saying it's as easy as, just go on to a retirement calculator like there's tools for that honestly i feel like we say this way too often but just yeah google it <laughs> what would we do nowadays like just, without google uh, eh? go to a library and like find the, the information <laughs> um, I, and nobody got time for that work 40 hours a week with KiwiSaver and the amount of funds that we have the option of going for, um, it can be kind of an overwhelming thing to figure out which is the best option for you. Um, this is something that I actually recently did, or not so recently, but a few months ago, I was like, okay, Simran, like, you need to sit down and actually choose the best provider and the best fund for you because at the end of the day, this decision can be the difference between choosing a retirement that I want and choosing a retirement that I'm settling for because of the decisions that I made earlier on. So when it comes to providers, think of them like your supermarkets, like your big chain supermarkets, your small fruit and veggie stores. Each provider sells very similar fruit. So it's like getting an apple from a big chain or getting an apple from a small chain those apples are basically the funds. So you've got your providers and then your funds or your supermarkets and your fruit. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, I really like that analogy. Okay, so you basically have different providers or different supermarkets and then each fund sort of is somewhat similar to the funds at the other providers. So I'll give you an example. Think about one provider that you sign up with and you've got your retirement fund with them in their account they can give you different fund options and if you think of it like a scale on one end you've got your very conservative fund where they put your money in things that are very safe like bonds and cash and then on the other side you can join their very aggressive fund that might have like 
99% shares and 1% bonds. And so, and you've also got funds in the middle that are more balanced, sort of 50-50. Usually all providers will have all these ranges. So if you're like, oh, I want like a conservative fund, you don't have to necessarily go with just one provider because they all will have conservative funds. Does that sort of make sense? I feel like I'm kind of rambling a little bit. That definitely makes sense. Um, so you talked about how there's like usually two factors that you have to consider. One is the provider that you choose to go with and then the other is the fund you There's a you few choose. things that you want to consider when you're choosing. One, this is probably one of the biggest ones, but mm-hmm. are they an active fund or are they a passive fund? So basically what that means is, is there someone, some human there choosing what to do with your money in terms of what companies or stocks or commodities to put your money into? Is someone being paid a hefty fee to do that? Or is your retirement money being put into a fund that is passively done? It's an index fund that on average throughout all the studies, all that on average shows that in a passive fund where you're not having to pay such hefty fees for someone to decide where your money goes. Now, we've spoken about this before. I will go on about it again and again. Just because someone is actively putting your money somewhere doesn't mean it's going to make you more money. If anything, 92 to 90% of active funds do not outperform the index or the average aka the S&P 500 in the long term. I think it's also really important to mention that if you look at the stats of these active funds, they'll say like, well, you know, we bet like this market index, we bet that. It's really important to understand that these funds have not been around for a very long time. And New Zealand KiwiSaver is still relatively new. And a lot of these funds are only five or 10 years old. In the short term, they might be doing really well, but I mean, we're investing in this scheme until we're 65. And if the research shows that by then they're not going to perform as well, it's something to at least take into consideration. I was actually going to ask you about that. I'm glad you mentioned the active and passive fund situation Um, because membership fees, fees are a thing. Would you say because someone is actively managing it, so there's an actual human picking out those funds, those fees are going to be higher? A hundred percent, because at the end of the day, that's their job. And obviously everyone needs to be paid for their time, but who's paying for their time? You are and your funders. The thing with fund managers, at least in retirement schemes, if not in all fund schemes, is that they're going to get paid regardless. Like you might make less money, they're still going to take their cut. You might go into the negatives, they're going to take a negative 1% out of that too. And I think that's really important to remember because at the end of the day, just because you're paying for something that's a little bit more costly doesn't necessarily mean you're getting a premium result out of it. For me, I think I had a mini, uh, I think my heart skipped a beat 
um, when I saw my membership fees as well, because it's easy. Like, you think it might be hidden, but it's not. It should be in every transaction, right? Like, in terms of where mindset, your membership fee is, like, it's like right there um, where your employer contribution mm-hmm. and then your contribution is, like, every fortnight. Um, so it's interesting, definitely something At to keep mind. At the end of the day, mind. if you've got 500000 a million dollars, like, that adds up very quickly and that is eating into mm. your retirement savings and then I guess that's the bottom line I think one other mm. thing that I'd really like to mention is that if you don't choose a provider and you sign up with a employer and your employer doesn't choose a provider for you for your money to go into you get given what we call a default fund so in New Zealand There's about nine providers, nine banks and companies, for example, ANZ. And basically what KiwiSaver says is, all right, if you haven't chosen, we'll just choose one for you randomly. And they'll plonk you and your money into a default fund. And the fund is always a conservative fund. That might not be right for you. And it's actually shocking how many people are still in them. So for a population of 4.8 4.8 million with 3 million in KiwiSaver, we have 380,000 people that are in the default fund. And I don't know what mm. percentage of them would choose to stay in there if they knew what that fund was doing, which is not a lot. It's a very safe fund. Choosing a fund can seem very overwhelming and confusing, but it really, you just have to break down what you want. Do you want to put your money into something that might have a lot of highs, but possibly a lot of lows? Or do you want to be in something a little bit more conservative? And the thing is, what you want, and this is very similar to our, I guess, investor risk factor risk-taking episode. I guess the thing is that this will change over time. So if you don't plan to cash out your retirement fund for a very long time, Maybe you want to be in something that can, you know, handle the highs and lows and potentially give you a better return in the end. But if you're, for example, planning to buy a house at the end of the year, maybe you want to switch over to a more conservative fund so that when you come to cash out, it hasn't suddenly dropped $10,000 in a day. I mean, to echo what we said in our risk profile episode as well, taking the time carving out an evening to kind of evaluate where you're at and understanding what your goals are and where you do see yourself and what your fund and provider, what you want them to be, it's just going to benefit you for the long run, right? Like thinking about your finances, caring about your finances, making the time to review your finances, your future self is going to thank you. And I think... What I'm liking more and more of is a lot of KiwiSaver providers are starting to recognize that they shouldn't just, and not just KiwiSaver, but also just retirement companies in general throughout the world, they're starting to market and include young people in their campaigning and sort of taking away, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, Mm. but I feel like whenever I was on like a retirement fund website, they always showed like old people with white hair just like an old couple laughing and it's like I can't relate for many reasons (laughs) (laughs) 
it's it's again it's the marketing of it because when you're 24 like why why should you think about retirement i feel like you keep yeah i feel like it's we just talked about not just young people being like this isn't for me i feel like the industry itself is like you know what just just go go sit on your phone just Mm-mm. don't worry about this we don't want you here <laughs> go have your you just sit on in that corner and stress about life like you're not at this level yet <laughs> but anyway to sum up i guess what we're trying to get at here is we totally understand why something like saving up for your retirement isn't front of mind if you're thinking about retiring in the traditional sense but there are and there are a number of reasons why for example you know instant gratification and all the other challenges we face as young people but you know when it comes to stats on elderly and the poverty that they're facing and the fact that we're going to be living longer and there's less of a chance that the government is going to help us with our pensions i think it's definitely worth looking into KiwiSaver or any retirement fund and what you can use it for. Definitely. I hope that this episode has given people a few things to consider. Even though KiwiSaver is marketed as a retirement scheme and then you hear that buzzword first home grant a lot, there are a few other reasons why KiwiSaver is beneficial that would give you some extra peace of mind as well. So the benefits definitely extend further than it just being retirement, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, how much should you contribute and what should be the lump sum that you end up with? Of course, it's different for everyone. I mean, even in this podcast alone, me and Sonia do different things. You contribute a little bit more. I contribute the absolute bare minimum. Sounds like that's <laughs> <of> your life. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but yeah, it, there's no right or wrong way, right? And I think that's the beauty no. of it. Or maybe there's um, a right way. I'm joking. There is no right way. Your way is the right way because it's a reflection of what you want and where your needs are at the moment. I love it. Um, But yeah, so we hope this has been Mm -hmm. an enjoyable episode. We hope you've learned a lot. I feel like this was jam-packed with information. So if you got to the end, well done. You are hopefully a little bit more better off (laughs) than you were before this podcast. And ask your friends what provider they're at or provider they're with because I feel like that's just something we should start talking about compare who's who's getting the better deal because the more we talk about it the better off we're all going to be just before we go our disclaimer girls that invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs we are not financial advisors and the advice from girls that invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investing or financial decision Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alright, Sonia. This was very fun. Alright, Sim. Until next time.